Welcome to the Gay Buddhist Forum, where teachers from all schools of Buddhism offer their perspectives on the Dharma and its application in modern times, especially for LGBTQI audiences. These talks are offered freely to the world and made possible by appreciative listeners. If you would like to support our efforts to share the Dharma with underserved audiences, please visit gaybuddhist.org. There you can donate, find a list of upcoming speakers, or enjoy many hundreds of these recorded talks dating back to 1996. Well, I asked earlier if there was anybody joining us for the first time. Situation. So I um, <laughs> thought it was better to go and deal with that. He was fine. But, uh, yeah. I was also thinking, I know some of you have been coming here for a long, long time. I don't know if you remember that it used to be when it rained, we had to get out six or seven buckets. <laughs> <laughs> so I always have a little bit of a trepidation, but it, it seems by, to be holding. By the way, though, Uh-oh. right where Lee is, the gentleman with the pants who's the outstretched legs, uh-huh. when I was setting up, there was like drops. Oh, so no. I said something <laughs> might be coming through that light right there. Oh, so really? Just in case. I just, I, I mentioned that. Okay, that was, okay, thanks. I think I know where that is. I'll okay. Deal with that later. Okay, take a skin. Okay, so I wasn't sure what to call this talk, but I've settled for the moment on remembering to remember. That's what I'm going to talk about today. And uh, I wanted to begin with a poem which um, has been helpful in remembering what I want to remember. 
uh, and coincidentally, Prasadachitta has been memorizing it recently, so I thought I'd ask him to recite the poem. It's um, called Everything is Waiting for You by David White. Your great mistake is to act the drama as if you were alone, as if life were a progressive and cunning crime with no witnesses to the tiny hidden transgressions. To feel abandoned is to deny the intimacy of your surroundings. Surely, even you, at times, have felt the grand array, the swelling presence and the chorus crowding out your solo voice. You must notice the way the soap dish enables you and the window latch grants you freedom. Alertness is the hidden discipline of familiarity the stairs are your mentor of things to come. The doors have always been there to frighten you and invite you. And this tiny speaker in the phone is your dream ladder to divinity. Put down the weight of your aloneness and ease into the conversation. The kettle is singing even as it pours you a drink. The cooking pots have left their arrogant aloofness and seen the good in you at last. All the birds and creatures of the world are unutterably themselves. Everything is waiting for you. Thank you. It's perfect. So this poem is one of two things that I'm going to talk about that um, have really helped me to remember what's important for me in the last year or so. Uh, just a little bit of background that um, just over two years ago, about two and a half years ago, a couple of important people in my life uh, died just a month apart. And although death wasn't a new you think to me there was something about the close proximity of these two and the particular consequences that really hammered home the truth of impermanence for me in a way I hadn't experienced before and it seemed at the time I remember saying I could feel it in my bones I could feel in my bones um, that I wasn't always going to be here that I was dying too and it felt like a gift from them that I really wanted to honor and live by. So along with some uh, deep grief, I also felt a strange relief for a while. Um, similar, I think, to the way some people say they feel when they find that they um, don't have long to live. There was a kind of letting go or letting be that felt, um, felt like an unburdening. And I think it happens a lot, some event just stops us in our tracks and for whatever reason rather than uh, provoking fear and insecurity and a kind of scrambling to get on our feet again right away they crack us open for a while and transform our understanding and 
gradually that um, that bodily understanding faded um, into the background again, and I did I felt less raw, which was nice, but. Some of the old dis-ease came back and the feeling that I'd forgotten something really important um, sort of nagged at me. So it's like there's a um, very subtle um, habitual effort to ignore the truth. Um, I don't think the insight has gone that I got from that, but I need to make some effort to stay in relationship to it and let that relationship guide my life. There's a teaching in Buddhism, the four reminders, or mind turnings, or they're sometimes called the preliminaries, um, and they come before the threefold path of ethics, meditation, and wisdom, because it's thought that until we have them at the forefront of our consciousness, uh, we won't be motivated to live by them, and we won't be motivated enough to practice. So. The traditional reminders are the precious opportunity offered by human life, so not putting things off till later, um, death and impermanence, karma, or the fact that actions have consequences, which I find easy to forget, strangely, and the disadvantages of samsara, or the inevitability of suffering but just the fact that suffering will be a part of all our lives, as well as other things. So I doubt that these are news to anybody here, and I, they're not difficult to understand, like a lot of the teachings. They're fairly straightforward. Um, but if our understanding is only intellectual, if we just have an intellectual understanding of them, then um, they tend to easily slip out of awareness. <coughs> and we fall into what Buddhism calls the... Uh, topsy-turvy views so we can we think that we can put off practicing with them till later some later time but by turning them over and over in our minds regularly we can hammer them home and uh, allow them to crack us open so we don't need to rely so much on external events external um, life-changing events to motivate us um, and jolt us into practicing and when those events do happen, we'll be better able to respond through this practice. Um, Sangharachita, the founder of the Tarantana Buddhist community, um, puts it that they're a way of finding emotional equivalents for our intellectual understanding. And if we can do that, find an emotional connection with a teaching, it'll have a much greater influence on us. So when I felt that I was losing touch with that um, bone-deep understanding that I won't always be here, um, that I felt for a while, I came back to the idea of the four reminders, looking for ways to reconnect with it. Um, I wanted to learn to stay at the edge and not slip into comforting old habits and forget. So two main things and a lot of other things that uh, helped me with this are the, the, the poem that Sajjita read um, along with a talk that David White gave around this poem that I'll talk about um, called The Conversational Nature of Reality and the other thing is a, a guideline from the world of improv theatre um, which is yes and or accepting and not blocking any offer that's made by your partner on stage. And neither of these are 
traditionally Buddhist. Exactly. But for some reason, for me, they bring um, these reminders and other Buddhist teachings to life and make them more instantly accessible at times when I'm having difficulty. Um, and they're just easier to bring to mind in the moment that I need something than like the Four Noble Truths or the refrain from the Satipatthana Sutta or any of the wonderful teachings that um, unfortunately don't have an immediate effect on me when I need that jolt to get me unstuck from a kind of road that I'm going down. At the very least they give me something to do other than um, react badly when I'm finding things difficult. So first, uh, yes, and um, it turns out, many of you may know this, but it turns out that improv is not about being funny, um, as I had thought. But there's a lot of wisdom to it. Um, it's very related to practices that we do here, in fact. So it's about things like being present and listening rather than planning what you're going to do next and allowing things to unfold rather than trying to take control of the outcome being spontaneous and these are all things that I'm not very good at so I took a class I took a few classes um, in fact I got a little bit hooked on it even though I, I never um, I can honestly say I was never very good at it because some mechanism in my brain made me forget everything I'd learned as soon as I got up on stage. So. <laughs> but I did learn a lot. And yes, and is the um, first thing that we learn in class, pretty much, and is the basis of, of a lot of what, what they do. So it's a simple guideline, but like a lot of things, it's a big deal to put into practice. So it's in two parts. Um, first, you say yes. You agree with whatever your partner has created on stage. This is the thing, Jay, that you reminded me of. You were talking about saying yes rather than why. So, mm -hmm. um, so you say yes. Whatever your partner comes up with, you agree on stage. Um, so if we're improvising a scene and I say to my partner something like, oh, nice ball gown you're wearing, and they say, I'm not wearing a ball gown, kind of grinds to a halt so there's no scene happening there um, but if I say I spoil gun and they say oh thanks I like to look good even on retreats then we've started a scene so the benefit of saying yes it's kind of an open, open mind it's welcoming, there's new ideas and possibilities the second part um, not only to say yes but to say yes and so you're supposed to then add something of your own. So it doesn't just stop with, yes, this is how it is, but there's a continuum. So nice ball gown. Yes, I like to look good on retreat. So that's another offer. Um, they've given a location, they call it, and the other person can go with it. Yes, I bet all that fabric helps with the mosquitoes when you meditate. <laughs> <laughs> And the opposite, the opposite of yes, and is blocking, um, not accepting the offer. So when, when they said, I'm not wearing a ball gown, it kind of kills the scene. And it happens an awful lot in class. I think we all, everybody in that first class really were surprised at how often <coughs> the impulse is to block. Um, and in improv, they say that we do this because we think conflict is more interesting than 
acceptance and going along with things. And in fact, they say it isn't more interesting. It's more interesting for people to watch us on stage being healthy, happy, healthy, happy, normal, they call it. So the aim is not to try to be funny, but we're supposed to focus on making our partner look good. And it was really helpful to try and have that focus. The extent that I was able to remember to do that, it actually took away some of my self-consciousness and anxiety. So yeah, when I learned about this, I started to notice how often I block people in life. And it, it can be quite subtle, but just some way just sort of try wanting to get my point across, wanting to go with my idea. Um, and just not listening or, or withdrawing when it, when it feels uncomfortable rather than staying, staying engaged. And I noticed how unsatisfying that was. So I started trying to yes and people in conversation and kind of keep the conversation, keep the connection flowing and, uh, and you know, somewhat let go of the outcome. Uh, so it's quite relaxing to drop any idea of having to be right and just focus on the other on the other person. And it also reminds me that I don't know what will happen, which is so much less scary than thinking I do know, um, surprisingly. So I can trust life to unfold rather than fighting it and trying to block it. Um, it may not always be appropriate to say yes and, of course. Um, we might need to block at times and that's fine too. Um, but we can notice how we respond to people and situations and, and just try playing, playing with this a bit. It's fun, actually, and it's a lot harder than it sounds, I found, anyway. And I, I still, I rarely remember till afterwards, but occasionally, because of that you know, brain, same brain mechanism, I think, but when I do it, it really changes things and it opens up the conversation rather than shutting things down. So it keeps me engaged and connected rather than defensive and, and isolated. Um, so maybe the connection to Buddhism is obvious, I'm not sure, but for me it's, um, it expresses an acceptance of impermanence and change, a letting go and a loosening of that tight fist of control. It's also an acknowledgement of interconnectedness so not only trusting the unfolding of life, but understanding that it only unfolds in, um, in relationship, in relationship to an infinite number of things, including other people. So we can't take experience out of that context, out of the context of relationship. And every action that we take has tendrils and connections and harmonies and dissonances. So mindfulness um, is a great teaching that it would be good to remember for me. I, I don't think it's stretching it too far to say it's really just this, just saying yes and. Because mindfulness doesn't block, it doesn't have an agenda. And it doesn't mean we love everything that's happening, but it does mean we can include what's happening and make room of it. And that has a softening effect. Because mindfulness is a very positive quality. And if we're mindfulness of something, even if it's something like a, um, 
a very negative frame of mind, it naturally brings a positivity to that experience and creates a space around it. So I'm trying to yes and my experience, trying not to block anything with judgment and, and limit what I see, trying to be more receptive to what's happening both externally and internally and try to do that as it happens and as it's changing. So if I can say yes to my emotions, for example, I can build a relationship with them and allow them to soften. And the and reminds me that they're not solid and they're not fixed and they're a process and they change. So we often block our emotions um, by kind of criticising them before they've even had time to be felt. Um, so saying things like, I shouldn't feel jealous, or I'm really tired of feeling um, sad. So we're creating a little internal war with that. So with mindfulness we can include the feelings, and we can also include the feelings about the feelings without getting lost in them. And there's plenty of room to come and go with in their own time. So saying yes, we're much more likely to see beyond our habitual limiting views and stories. And saying and reminds us that we're always unfolding. So it just sort of keeps us from getting stuck continually. Um, and underneath the stories and the emotions, we can open up also to our physical sensations and our energies and see how any kind of physical discomfort is also made up of all different kinds of changing sensations that come and go, rather than one long, uncomfortable experience. So we can begin to see what we've been missing. And we are constantly missing things. We miss particularly the changes that are happening. There's lots of funny YouTube videos of experiments that people have done to show just how much we miss in our lives, gorillas crossing basketball courts and things like that. So the more we think we already know, the more we exclude from our experience. And our brain has the ability to convince us of just about anything. Um, it saves time also by making assumptions and imposing past patterns that we've learned onto present events and ignoring much of what's happening around us. And that's how um, magicians do magic tricks. They um, draw our attention to something that they want us to see so that we don't see um, the rabbit hopping away. So the rabbit <laughs> seems to disappear from the hat that we it's actually in full view that we're looking at something else. So, um, it's the same with other things that we, um, we tend to be drawn, I guess, by the big things in life, mainly things that we really want, we notice, and things that we really don't want kind of grab our attention so that the whole vast range of the rest of our experience is just happening unawares all the rich surroundings and the rabbits are hopping around without us seeing them. So the beauty of yes and here is that it opens up that view so that we see 
all the other possibilities we wouldn't habitually see and gets us out of a rut of our view. So it reminds me that what I think is happening is changing even as I'm having the thought about what's happening. So if I give something a label, I try to remember that it's only a functional label. It's useful to tell people what's happening, but it's never the whole story. So there's a related teaching about um, labels, about signlessness that you may have heard. It's um, so three lakshanas, impermanence, insubstantiality, and unsatisfactoriness, um, or characteristics of existence, are also each a gateway to liberation, or vimoksha. Some reason I like that word, vimoksha. Um, so the vimoksha relating to impermanence is the signless or imageless, and nimitar. So basically, on the other side of impermanence, when we really, really turn it over in our minds, we really get it on all levels, we no longer feel the need to label things in quite the same way with words or thoughts. We don't need to add to the experience or lock it with, um, by calling it something. Um, it's said that we've transcended the level of concepts and we experience reality directly. So labels can be a way of blocking, um, reifying or concretizing things and keeping them, keeping them separate and ignoring the constant movements and interconnectedness of things. Um, if I give something a name, there's a danger that I think I'll know it and I'll stop being interested in it stop listening to what it might have to tell me. So there's a kind of pigeonholing that can be limiting, um, and even, even, even quite violent in some ways. So even impermanence itself can be mistaken for a thing. It might be better as a verb, which is why change is often used. Um, so it isn't an inconvenient thing that's, that's out there. Uh, happening to us. We are impermanence, we are change. And our senses are changing along with what they're sensing, sensing. So we're kind of constantly tuning and retuning in response to countless conditions. I find this quite exciting. It's not the changes happening to us, there's no part of us that is not changing. So we're constantly moving, affecting, and being affected. And we're never basically means we're never separate. We're always in relationship to something. So what we experience and the way we think and feel about it, all changing, all the time, changing, being changed by everything it meets. And there's something very freeing about this, experimenting with it. So trying not to block to see beyond labels. Um, I'm trying to remember to be curious and stop telling things what they are, telling people what they are and what they should be, and allowing them instead to reveal themselves to me in their own time. I'm working on being okay with the uncertainty of not knowing 
And when I hear myself making generalized statements, which I do a lot, that was one of them. <laughs> I tried to pause and question them. Uh, do I really know that? Can I really say it's true? Is it always the case? Um, I'm noticing how often I, I label things uh, according to their function for me, so how they relate to me, for my cup, my friend, my enemy, my past, my future. So I kind of impose me as the central reference point for everything and block other possibilities. I hear things according to how they affect me rather than what's actually happening. So yes, and reminds me that I don't know not knowing is the most intimate, it's one of my favourite sayings when I was in school. If I can remember I don't know, I'm open to possibilities. Um, and when I'm not blocking, I have something uh, like beginner's mind. So no prejudice, judging, assumptions or expectations. I'm not trying to attempt to control my experience or manipulate it. And it feels like freedom. The labels are useful, they have a function, but I want to be sure I'm not mistaking the label for the, the whole thing, for the whole flow of experience that, that the labels are pointing to. They're like pointing, the finger pointing at the moon, they're pointing to something else, they're not the thing itself. Another teaching along this, these lines, this is almost the last thing I'm going to talk about. Um, Something else that I want to remember comes from Gregory Kramer. I don't know if you've heard of this guy. He, he writes about insight dialogue <coughs> and um, he calls it interrelational meditation. So again, it's all about recognizing that we're in relationship and that we need more than just sitting in meditation. Um, and he wanted to create a bridge between the two so we could we could talk about what's happening right now as it's happening and talk about insights that we're having without the conversation getting taken over by our usual habits and self-referential ways. And the framework has six instructions. Uh, pause, relax, open, trust emergence, listen deeply, and speak the truth. So lots of pausing, really listening, being receptive and honest. And they're all really useful, and there's a lot more to it. Um, I, I would recommend it if you're interested. Um, but the thing I was particularly interested in was this step of trusting emergence. Um, it's the thing I most wanted to remember. Sitting at the edge of impermanence, he called it. Um, so putting aside our agendas, our me project, and our habitual planning, and sitting at the edge of impermanence. Trusting emergence, trusting our capacity to be with the instability of things, not resisting, not knowing, not planning, and letting go into the changing nature of things. So I, I don't know if he had done any improv, but it's very similar, I felt, to the yes and guideline. And I was always, always inspired by this particular teaching, but when I made the connection with yes and it and it, um, it became easier to remember. I could remember it more quickly. So again, when I'm in conversation or when I'm just sitting, I can uh, try to be receptive to what's happening um, 
listening without arguing or strategizing or fixing and just staying interested in what's happening in the relationships and the connections and every sensation and thought or word and being affected affecting each other, being affected he actually leads retreats where we do this and try and talk about like our lips moving while we're talking it's very trippy <laughs> and I really, I don't know how I ever thought I had control over all that, but I, I did apparently. So I love the, this image of sitting at the edge and opening to what's happening and not knowing, trusting, responding rather than planning. It is a little bit scary, like improv, but it, it actually removes a whole layer of effort and, and tightness. And that brings me finally to the cons conversational nature of reality and the poem that uh, Posada Chitta read. Um, so the talk, I'm just going to say a little few notes from the talk that David White gave around this. Um, it's, a, it's a really good talk. On, I think it's a TEDx talk. Um, so he talks about this whole thing in terms of staying in conversation. So we change the world by meeting it, by being present, simply by be beginning a conversation, either verbal or by simply being present, attentively present, listening. And the observer moves the world by the way they see the world. Quotes somebody, I can't remember, I'm a very path maker. There is no path, you make the path by walking. Everything is affected by the way we stand. Come out from behind the wall you've set up that you call you and meet something other than yourself. He quotes Wu Wei Wu, which I do remember because, like David White, I hadn't realised this guy was Irish that called himself Wu Wei Wu. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, he says, Why are you unhappy? Because 98.8% of everything you do and all that you say is for yourself, and there isn't one. No self will survive a real conversation. Instead of seeing ourselves as something to fire at the world like ammunition, we can join the conversation of reality. Put down the weight of your aloneness and ease into the conversation. Everything is waiting for you. And he points out that this is a wonderful thing. Everything is waiting for you. And also death is one of those things waiting death is also part of the conversation. So I love this way of talking about the flow of conditions as a conversation um, that we can engage with, that we can yes and, or we can block. And it's, it's been a great reminder for me, whatever else I might do, and however I feel about the world and people and myself and reality, life and the universe and everything, I can accept their offer, I can trust emergence and I can choose to come out from behind the wall I set up and ease into the conversation. I thought maybe if you would read that poem again, that's just to end with. Sorry, not read, recite. <coughs>
Your great mistake is to act the drama as if you were alone. As if life were a progressive and cunning crime with no witnesses to the tiny hidden transgressions. To feel abandoned is to deny the intimacy of your surroundings. Surely, even you, at times, have felt the grand array, the swelling presence and the chorus crowding out your solo voice. You must notice how the soap dish enables you and the window latch grants you freedom. Alertness is the hidden discipline of familiarity. The stairs are your mentor of things to come. The doors have always been there to frighten you and invite you. And the tiny speaker in the phone is your dream ladder to divinity. Put down the weight of your aloneness and ease into the conversation. The kettle is singing even as it pours you a drink. The cooking pots have left their arrogant aloofness and seen the good in you at last. All the birds and creatures of the world are unutterably themselves. Everything is waiting for you. What is the name of the poem? It's called Everything is Waiting for You by David White. Is that White or White? White. W-H-Y-T-E. And the, the, the talk that he gives, which uh, it's about six minutes, I think. Um, it's called The Conversational Nature of Reality. It's very, it's very good. Six minutes talk, that sounds great. I know, doesn't <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of six minutes, we still have about six, ten minutes. <coughs> wow, awesome. Yeah, I am, um, yes. If anyone has any questions. Or anything that you, I mean, I was interested, I thought, I actually thought there was going to be more time left at the end, but um, to get into groups and talk about what you would like to remember or what's important and ways that you remember things that are important. And maybe playing around with the yes and and blocking, just noticing that while you're talking. Mm -hmm. Since there isn't time for that, <laughs> you could, if you wanted to share. Yes? Um, my question for you is, do you continue to do, uh, do you continue to seek opportunities for improvising? And do you do this with close friends and family? For example, mm -hmm. um, there's always little dramets with family. <laughs> Pretty reliable. And, and even friends. Yeah. And so I was just wondering, would yes and, and setting it up, would that be an appropriate way to practice? I think that would be a fantastic way to practice, yeah. Because they're situations that are familiar to you in some ways are really good places to sort of at least go in with the intention 
of finding something to say yes to and something to yes and there, you know, just have that have that intention. And like I say, for me, I tend to forget when I'm in the, you know, what's going on more often than not. So afterwards, I think, you know, I try and catch it as early as I can. And rather than going off then into, oh, I should have yes and did, I can, I can quite just gently come back to finding an opportunity to accept that offer, what's happening then. <coughs> that makes sense. So yeah, I think that's a, I'd be interested to see how that, how that goes. Yeah. Thank you for your talk. Um, I latched on to the idea of this, like, we're everyone's changing right now, we're all changing, reacting, responding, things mm. people, each other, really like that. And yes, I am. I really, um, and I just had a conversation last night with a friend about impermanence um, because we were talking about the um, being on the other side, the, the, the last half of life, as opposed to the first half of life. And, aging and impermanence and a friend of mine passed away a week ago he just mm -hmm. at 52 he just collapsed mm -hmm. uh, with a heart attack and died and left his partner and, and daughter mm -hmm. and um, so I've been on the phone a lot with his partner my friend mm -hmm. crying on the phone a lot and you know dealing with that mm -hmm. that jarring thing that happens you know and, um, yeah. and I was just in, when you were talking I was toying with this idea like yes yes we are alive and we are dying Yes, we are dying, and we are alive. It's like this paradox, you know, it's like, um, and listening to him, I, I, every time I go to call him, I, I have to, like, just take a breath, because I don't yeah. know what's going to happen when we're talking, and yeah. it feels so awkward, because yeah. it's, it's such an intense situation, and um, so I like that idea, I'm going to try it with him, you know, the, kind of like just listening yes and, and not... It's hard not to plan, like, oh, I think I can say this, or yeah. I talk about that, or I might ask him this, or I wonder, you know, yeah. or should I text him to see if he wants to talk, you know, just mm -hmm. yeah. put it out there. And talk, you know, like that. Yeah, that's wonderful. I mean, I do think that's, that, that's, it's often what we need is someone just to, I mean, just the way that you're talking, like you're present, you're just allowing yourself to be present. And noticing that desire to maybe come up with the right thing to do, and knowing that you, you may not know it, that you can just be there with what you. I think that's that's a great way of putting it. Thank you. And I'm, I'm sorry for you. Yeah. So this is sort of in relationship to the poem. It, it reminded me of I subscribed to the tricycle daily narrative and it's, it strikes me as so the poem seemed to be about our connection and the one today struck me about the brief the other the other side of it uh, the sense of nagging inauthenticity about my narrative self the sense when it comes down to it my story is a lie resists and one of the great joys of meditation is that it offers an opportunity to put the story aside for a while and abide, abide briefly in the images. Mm. And it, it nice. just, you know, it, it sort of struck me strongly this morning that, you know, is there a me? Right. Separate from, or even not separate, it's very confusing. Right. <laughs> 
a very good question to mm-hmm. keep in mind, isn't it? So, yeah. I'm not going to try and answer it, by the way. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I love your, thank you for your very helpful talk. I love, you know, trying, trying to remember to remember it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's so poignant. <laughs> Um, on Thursday night in the rain, I, I'm a good leaper, so there was a big puddle, and I leapt. Uh-huh. But my back foot slid backwards when I leapt, so I just tore my hell out of my groin. So I've been hobbling around for three days. Uh-huh. And then last night, there was a puddle, and I leapt again. <laughs> I had no memory. <laughs> um, I find that discouraging, and this The same thing. I think Einstein describes that as the, is it somebody says that's the definition of insanity when we make a mistake and then keep repeating, expecting a different outcome. But to forget altogether, there's very little you can do about that, isn't there? You just, it's what you do, I suppose, when you do become aware that second time. The importance of the pause. Um, I grew up in the Northeast where everybody talks rapidly and interrupting each other is not considered rude, it's yeah. considered engaged. Mm-hmm. And my partner grew up in California and we've been together, he speaks much more slowly mm-hmm. and if you ask him a question, you don't get an immediate answer. Mm-hmm. And even after 15 years of living with him and actually admiring this way of being, I still find when he's pausing that I'm wanting to say, hurry up! (laughs) (laughs) Or trying to anticipate what he's going to say. But 15 years is... It takes a while. Yeah, I mean, it's good to recognize that, isn't it? We do all have different styles of doing it, and they're not, you know, what somebody is doing is not necessarily what we perceive them as doing. Like, it's a slightly different thing, but I know that I have, um, <clears throat> I mean, I'm a bit of an introvert, quite quiet a lot of the time. And I know there are people who are more extrovert that told me they basically think I'm sitting in silent judgment of them, which I, I'm not. I'm just sort of thinking and enjoying the like internal whatever that's going on. But um, yeah, so I guess asking somebody what they need is, is a good idea, but yeah, that's, thank you. Would you repeat the reminders again, the yes and staying at the edge of? Um, well, for me, they're basically yes and, not blocking, and staying in the conversation mm-hmm. are the three main ones, and the traditional ones are might be different, but the, the, those three help me to remember all the other things in, in Buddhism that are important to remember. I think that was it. <laughs> I've forgotten. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, you, you have questions. Yeah, I just wanted to mention that um, I took an improv class as well. Oh, you did? Yeah. yeah. I thought I, I saw you looking like you knew what yeah. it was. And it's funny because I always, in the sangha that I go every week, I always like uh, tell them to t- to actually 
dig into improv because I had the same feeling that, mm-hmm. that you just described. So I really resonate with your talk mm-hmm. and I really thank you for that. Um, and something else that it came to my mind uh, during the talk as well was uh, that I also resonate with the problem that you have like on the stage, uh, especially with improv, so hard. Um, Although, I've, and I think that that's a lot, it has a lot to do with the way that I feel attached to my ego when I'm in mm-hmm. public. Yeah, um, and especially when I, I don't, I cannot prepare for that, right? Because I need to react at the moment to what I'm receiving mm-hmm. um, from the environment. Um, yeah, and I think it's really hard to, I mean, even if you remember, I think that's also related to the the pause that like you just said. Mm-hmm. It's it's hard um, sometimes. You really feel like you're blocking everything because you're so attached to your ego, right? Mm-hmm. And like, yeah, I, I was wondering if you have some trick uh, that helps you like to solve this. Yeah, I don't. It's like it's almost like it's a survival mechanism kicks in. As I'm, I'll be walking up to the stage, I'm gonna make the other person look good, and make the other person look good, and I'll get up there. It's just like. Something else happens, so I don't exactly, but I do think every all of this stuff eventually I'm hoping that will sink in so that it's you know it sort of cuts through that that reptilian brain instinct that's what I'm hoping um, and it did it has happened a few times not not on stage but off off stage when we're doing a little partnership exercise because all the I don't know, maybe we should, do, we should do some improv next time. But um, everything is aimed at getting that out of the way, that sort of that idea that we have to be something, that we have to be on, that we have to present something. So the whole of the, all the classes are really aimed at doing that. And God, I don't know how many hours I spent doing it, and I, you know, it hasn't quite gone in there yet, but I appreciate it, and I aspire to it. So good luck. <laughs> Time. One more question. We're almost there. Anybody else? Last one. I'll just say that, that about improvisation, that's what you do in about 70% of your life. Mm-hmm. Your whole life. I mean, I've thought of some kind of you're able to plan out what you want to do, the big picture and then the daily picture, for maybe if that much. And the rest is improvisation. Absolutely, <laughs> yeah. And so if you're aware of that, then you can practice it. Yeah. And everything you do. You can. Somebody wonderful walks through the door. Well, also, that's, it's related to the nature of change. I yeah. mean, impermanence always has a, seems to have this negative connotation of, mm-hmm. oh, I'm going to die, or somebody I love is going to die. Yeah. It's wonderful that things change. You can experience a great dinner more than once. Yeah. And, well, anyway. That, but, but uh, um, it's great that things change. Yes, it That's is. That's the nature of life. Yeah. You're dead. You don't change. Yeah. So, as far as we know. Well, so far. And on that note, <laughs> <laughs> thank, thank you, Kevin Tara. Thank you. Lovely to be here. Thanks for Okay, so let's wrap things up. A couple of announcements now. Um, Let's see. Okay, uh, next week, March 20th, Jennifer Barrison is coming. And for anyone who has experienced her, she's a lot of fun. She's a beautiful singer. And we mm-hmm. start and talk with, it, you know, with her singing and guitar. 
So if you've never experienced her, I highly suggest you come. So Jennifer Barrow's on March 20th. And um, Donna is the poly we're forgiving. And we have, um, we pay our rent here. We have the uh, newsletter that we uh, send out. We pay for our speakers, the Larkin Street dinners, mailers, and, and all. The suggested donation is anywhere from seven to $10, but please give what you feel comfortable giving. It's greatly appreciated. Uh, let's see, our host, I believe, is Mark. I can hear from you. Yes, welcome everyone. Uh, please push a little food. Please help yourself to that and to tea, hot tea. Um, but if you use, if you do use <coughs> tea, just wash your cup out with warm sesame water and rinse at the kitchen. Um, there is a, um, there's a sign-up sheet on Credenza. People are interested in staying connected with the Sangha. And uh, some of us meet at 12.30 um, at the door to have lunch. I think that's uh, it. Uh, we have social, it's a social period between the, we're going to have an hour before the 12 Thank you. I would like to share that um, that's been your announcement for a long time, but we have a dishwasher and you can just stick it. You can just stick it to your um, Tap in the dishwasher. Change. Thank you for that. Um, anyone else? Okay, let's please stand for the dedication truth of this practice, may all beings have happiness and the causes of happiness. May all be free from sorrow and the causes of sorrow. May all never be separated from the sacred happiness which is without sorrow. And may all live in equanimity without too much attachment or too much aversion, believing in the equality of all that lives. Thank you again, everyone, for coming today. Enjoy your Sunday. Thank you for listening to the Gay Buddhist Forum. If you would like to hear several new talks per month and be notified of upcoming speakers so you can participate live, please subscribe to this podcast, like us on Facebook, and join our mailing list by visiting gaybuddhist.org.